Welcome to From the Bleachers, and this is episode 14, and today we're going to talk a little sectional softball, a little sectional baseball, and some Adirondack Trailblazers, Nick. So back from the weekend, this is Sunday morning we're doing it, so hopefully maybe you're Sunday night, or if you're Monday, on the way out to Gillette Field to watch the Wildcats girls play in the sectional final, you're going to get a little preview, we'll recap the game, but uh, first... Mick, we'll talk about how all our locals did in sectionals and run through that. Then we'll go through the Adirondack weekend and how uh, the girls did. So on the baseball side, Mick, the ACS boys, they won their first-round matchup. They beat South Jeff. Then they lost to VVS 4-1. to In the Bs, uh, VVS lost to West Hill. And it's going to be Skinny Atlas-West Hill in the finals. And we kind of talked about that earlier, that Skinny Atlas might have had an advantage with their stud pitcher. And it looks like they've run him through to the finals. But that was kind of what we were worried about with the Cats. They just didn't have enough offense to win that game. And that was kind of the story of the year. Could they get enough runs to win? They made a good run. It was 1-1 one to one in the sixth. They had a, you know, a chance to win that game, but just not enough offense this season, I think, for the Cats to, to make that deep run like you guys did last year. Yeah, they played a really good game against VVS. The problem is when you're lacking offense, Nick, your pitcher – Pitchers and your defense, there's not really a lot of margin for error. And that's really what the Cats ran into down at VVS. So a one nothing game into the fifth. And then VVS put together a couple hits. And they were able to tie the score and then lengthen that lead out. And then for the Cats, very difficult to generate any offense. So definitely in the game. And actually talked to some of the kids prior to the game and you know everybody had a feeling that it would have to be two to one three to two type of game to win and it was actually there for the taking just a little bit more offense and you know coach polio and the cats would have given themselves a little bit more of a chance but they do fall to vvs and we got a skinny atlas west hill final west hill got to the final played us last year we talked about it not to go in great detail nick but Skinny Atlas is sitting on Craig Shear. They have their ace ready to go today, weather permitting, out at OCC. Uh, I'm not really sure if West – I know West Hill has not seen him this year. I suspect West Hill may have seen him last year. But Shearer's put up big numbers in the sectionals, striking out 13, 14, 15 guys. I think he's given up maybe a run, shut down Camden. Uh, so going into that game today, Nick, I would say Skinny Atlas got to feel good about, uh, you know, with Shearer on the mound today against West Hill. Uh, and we actually beat them last year in the semis. We missed Shearer. So he's probably the prominent pitcher in the area. So uh, good run by the Cats. And Class B set up with Skinny Atlas, West Hill, Nick. Just to end the ACS season, Alex Gaylord had a really good run in sectionals. He pitched really well. So he'll be back next year. Will he be the best in our league? Will he be the be- one of the best in the section coming back? Because Coach Pulio rode him. For his two sectional games, Ethan came in and closed the game against South Jeff, which was important. I know Ethan came in at the end of the VBS game as well. But coming back, you got Al as a lefty. He should be one of those dominant pitchers next year. Right, and finding a 2-3-4 guy is going to be Coach Pulio's task this summer. So Cats are playing a lot of summer balls. So finding some guys to line up behind Gaylord and trying to get that offense juiced a little bit. You know, that's going to be the goal. And just one side note before we leave this, Nick. Uh, you know, Ethan Martin won three games in the sectionals when we made the run last year. Actually actually set the school record for wins. Uh, he overtook Rod Nellenbeck towards the end of the regular season. Rod 
uh, pitched in 83, 84, and 85. I believe he had 22 wins, and I think Ethan goes out with his career with 23. So pretty select company. Rod probably, arguably, one of the got to play with Rod and easily one of the best pitchers I've ever seen at the high school level. So congratulations to Ethan on that. F- great career for Ethan. You know, won a sectional title, two a pair of league titles. So, uh, you know, just a great job by Ethan. Yeah, congratulations, Ethan. I know he was he was pretty stoked about that. that was kind of a goal going into the season. It was to get that record. As for our other uh, locals, the Lowville team, after they won that playing game, lost 9-3 to to the Port Byron Union Springs team. South Lewis in the Seas, they won their first round game, beat Lafayette, lost to an excellent Ariskany team who's in the finals, 8-4. to Then Beaver River made a nice run, Mick. They won their first game 12-1 over Westmo, beat Tully 11-1, then lost in a heartbreaker to Cooperstown to go to the sectional finals. They were tied in the final inning, and then uh, Cooperstown had a guy in second and a bunt and an error, and Cooperstown guys scored. So Beaver River, Mick, was that close to getting to a sectional final and representing the Frontier League in the finals. But a, a good season by Beaver River. You know, we talked before the season, we thought Tully was the class of the Frontier League, and Beaver River won that division tied with Tully, or excuse me, tied with a TI, I mean, and got to, you know, within one play of getting to a sectional final. Yeah, and I was t- talking to a mutual friend, and head coach Matt Leindecker said they just didn't really play a, a really good game against Cooperstown, and you hate to go and play in that type of game and you not play well and not really, you know, play as well as you would like. And But great run for them, you know, getting to the semifinals. So um, Cooperstown will take on a risk. And just a side note, going back to South Lewis for a second, Nick, uh, South Lewis actually had a 4 nothing lead early in that game. Right now, Ariskany is that team that, you know, and they got bumped up to see this year. Ariskany is that team where they just – you know their postseason experience every single year. They just they just have that mental toughness. They've gotten to a point where they just show up and they know they're going to win. Nick, they have that attitude. So being down four to nothing really not didn't really panic them. Tom Meese does a great job there, and they just that that culture they have there is just phenomenal. I mean they're getting to the finals every year, uh, or close to every year. So they squeaked out a one nothing win over Ludden in their first round game, and then you know, they get all the way to the finals, and they're playing Cooperstown at Murnane today. So Ariskany, always a tough out. Then on the girls' side for softball, the South Lewis girls lost their first matchup 13-6, to and the Beaver River girls beat Onondaga 12-8, and then fell to Pulaski 4-3. to But a good showing by our locals, Mick, as 7 out of 8 made it to the sectionals. And that can lead us into the Adirondack game yesterday. So I was able to go up, Nick, to the Adirondack girls game yesterday up in Lowville. So first, got to give credit to Section 3. We kind of banged on a little bit for basketball for games being out in Syracuse. So Adirondack South, Jeff, what better place than at Lowville? And it was a, it was a, it was a huge crowd, and like I was joking with you earlier, Steve Porter made a show up, and I know Ammo, uh, the Adirondack coach, was pretty good friends with Steve Porter and had a lot of respect for him growing up, and so to see Steve there was, you know, pretty interesting. He, uh, so I said that'd be a big game if Sam Joslin and Steve Porter were at the game. If Matt Bolivar was there, it would have been like the uh, the, the triumvirate, the triumvirate right there. of local celebrities. So that was... That was fun to see, but the one thing before getting into the game, Mick, that I wanted to get your opinion on, 
I love the setup at Laville. The turf is awesome. It's not made really for a sectional game because the bleachers are kind of small. There's a small set behind home plate. There's a small set behind first base. So I got there about quarter of 11. The game started at 11. And the bleachers were all full. So now you're scrambling where to sit. You could sit way out in left field where you would sit for a football game. But I ended up sitting on like the, the third baseline right by the goalpost of the football field. Right. But the umpires had us push back because they, that ball was in play. So there was a, a spot where you wanted to be able people to go and foul territory and get a ball. So my one thought is, is maybe get a, a fence out there. Someone told me they have fence for baseball games. I'm not sure if they do. But put like a, a non-permanent fence out there. Because one thing I did notice is if you hit a, a line drive over the shortstop's head, it gets in a gap, it's a home run because there's nothing to stop that ball. And so that was the one thing, if they're going to continue to play games, I think it's a great facility, but for fans to be able to sit in the outfield would have been a great venue or a great place to watch because by the time 12 o'clock rolled around and Holland Patton O'Neill are coming in for the second game, there was nowhere really to sit and watch, a game, watch the game unless you sat way out in left field. And so for those people coming from the... For the second game, it was kind of an awkward spot there for about an hour. I think, too, it's – I really disagree with them playing that game. Number one, well, playing on the turf is fine, but then you're playing on that turf with no fence and really disagree with them playing that game there because it changes the game so much. And it's not the game that you've played all year long. No fence with the turf. And you were talking about Emma Hennessy's home run. You know, you could if you smoke a ball in the gap and it's just a line drive. I mean, arguably, you could smoke a ball on the ground and on the turf. That could result in a home run. Really hard to play a game of that magnitude under that type of like ground rules with the turf, no fence. I don't. There is no way, shape, or form I would have would have liked signing off on playing that game there. Uh, so you talked about it from a spectator's point of view, but just from a you know a coaching point of view, you're not playing that game like that all you know for the most part all year long. Totally different game, and you, you know the other thing too to a certain extent with that with the you know with the you know with the, with that circumstance of the turf and the no fence. I mean, arguably you could make a pretty decent pitch and a ball could get lined into the into the gap and with no fence that could turn into a home run. So, you know, just kind of from that standpoint, I you know, I I really don't like those two games being played there, Nick. Now, I don't think it affected the game. Hannah Miller hit a home run in the first inning and that was a home run everywhere. At our field, she's in the woods over the road. It was a bomb. Emma Hennessy hit a home run, and when sitting here, I'm thinking that's a double at our park. I watched WKTV highlights, and it might have been out in our place right. too. It would have been close, but if it's not, and if it's a double, that could change a lot. As uh, you know, that ball in the gap. Once it gets to the gap, it's gone. I watched. I saw highlights of the United Hall Patton game, and a girl hit a shot in a gap that went for a home run. Just a you know a temporary fence put up. I don't know how we would decide where it goes or how far out it goes. My guess is your outfielders had to play a lot deeper yesterday because there were a couple shots that the South Jeff girl got to in left field that were deep, and you know she made nice plays on those. But I'm assuming you're playing deeper because you do, you got to cut those balls off. Yeah, you gap. can't let that ball get in the gap, or like you said, Nick, it's going to be gone. So 
yeah, you got to play them a, a, a lot deeper, which, you know, it, it changes. I mean, it's it's the same for both sides. I don't want to, you know, I kind of like a spilt milk sort of thing, but same for both sides. But it's, you know, it's it's a totally different game, and it's a lot different than what you play all year long. So tough to do, like, in the sectionals. So quick recap of the game. So first inning, second batter, Hannah Miller, bomb in left field, and home run caps are up one nothing. South Jeff comes back in the third inning as a girl got hit by a pitch mick, and there, there's going to be a controversial play at the end of the game, but I thought this one might be a, a big play, is girl got hit, you thought, on the wrist or the hands. Now, when she got hit, she didn't move, and she just stayed there. And you think when you get hit, you would shake your hand or you would throw your bat away and start running to first base? They give her first base, and Coach Vanacuacho came out to argue that, saying the ball hit the end of the bat. The umpires got together and gave her first base, but it looked like, now I'm sitting 300 feet away, but it looked like to me, from first glance, it didn't hit her, it hit the end of the bat, but she comes around to score, and then from there, I'm thinking who makes a mistake would probably lose the game, but we get into the fourth inning, and, um, or excuse me, the fifth inning, and Katz had two girls on, and Hennessy hits the gapper for a three-run homer. You know, I wrote to myself, it might have been a double anywhere else, but I'm not sure. It would have been close. But then you get to the not, or the seventh, Mick, and this is where things got interesting. So South Jeff walks a girl, Adirondack walks a girl. They steal down 4-2. to two. So my first question is going to be, stealing down 4-2, to two, people around me, there were some grumblings of, you know, stealing down 4-2. to two. But actually it turned out to get them a run. Because she gets the second. It was a close play. Pass ball, pass ball, she scores. It's 4-3. to three. So first, what do you think as a baseball lifer, softball lifer, no outs, you got to run around first, you're down two, and you're last at bat, and you steal there. Well, you're going to get me on my rant right now because, first of all, people don't know what they don't know. So run around first, you don't know, like, the girl that's coming up. I'm not sure anyone in the crowd possesses her stats for the season. So, you know, the South Jeff coach, he, they, they may have felt that they needed to run in that situation. Sometimes you're not going to run, depending on who you have up the bat. Sometimes you're going to run. So people really don't know what you don't know. So you can, you know, obviously everybody's going to second guess, but, you know, possibly, and I'm just, you know, speculating right now, maybe she's a 230 hitter. Maybe, you know, maybe they've seen something that they felt like they could run in that situation. So a lot of times... You know, people will be critical, but they don't know the situation at, at that given point in time. So, you know, 4-2, I'd, I'd have to know a lot more things before I would say it's a good idea or a bad idea. You know, and with that first girl in that inning, they get away with it. I mean, they steal it, and then she comes around on pass balls, and she scores to make it 4-3. So that, so that looks good in, in that situation. You know, so at, at that point in time, he... You know, they felt the need that they needed to press the situation. So that first girl scores, Nick, and that works out for them. Yeah, I mean, that's a gutsy call. but It is gutsy. It Absolutely. Looks, it Absolutely. looks good. So here's what happens next, which is in the Red to Watertown paper, and the title is Controversy at the Game. So that girl comes around to score, and we walk the next girl, and the cats are a little, you know, out of sorts. You got two walks, a couple pass balls. And on the next pitch, they steal again, and she is called out for leaving early. Now, we're, we can have a little discussion about this on the call first, but the South Jeff coach came out, and I'm sitting next to some people. I'm like, he's going to get 
thrown out of this game because he is livid. And he's talking about, and I just read in the article, the Watertown paper, how her girl, the girls, they have rock back and forth, and how she was rocking off the base and didn't leave early. But the umpire, I'll give him credit, that is a gutsy call. He called it right away. He didn't go ask for help, and he let the South Jeff coach have his say, and um, they're out. Now, here's what I'm thinking. First of all, just as the game point, there's no outs, a girl on first. I'm thinking bunt in that situation to try to get the game. She didn't square around a bunt, so I'm thinking he's trying to get her to second and then maybe bunt her over, or maybe he likes this girl in that situation. But here's my question to you, and the question everybody's going to have is, do you make that call as an official in that situation? The South Jeff coach, this is what he said. He said, if it's the first inning, I understand, because you can't make that call in that situation. Now, I'm going to have some thoughts on this. I know you probably... My thoughts usually aren't popular, but what is your thought on a, an official making that call? A sectional sem or a sectional semifinal, no outs. It's four to three. You leave early and you call her out. Well, first of all, you have to. Well, you have to make the call. Okay, you just can't ignore the call because it's the sixth inning. And I mean, if she left early, you have to make the call. So that is not really, you know, a valid argument in that situation. So. I know, Nick, when all the years that we played, all the years that I played fast pitch, a lot of a lot of us would start behind the bag. We would get a rolling start. So it would be a rolling start. So you can leave on the release. You'd get a rolling start. So your rolling start. So now the, the $100,000 question is, you know, he said she's rocking back and forth. We would get a ro rolling start. So... You know, can you distinguish that sometimes? Sometimes that gets really hard to distinguish, okay? So, I mean, I think if you're making that call, I'm, you know, it would have to be pretty obvious if you're going to make that call. Sometimes it does get hard distinguishing between rolling start and rocking. I, I, I get that. It's probably, for a softball umpire, it's, you know, it, splitting hairs on that is probably one of the most difficult calls in the game. A lot of times, as and I've you know played as many games as I played, it's obvious a lot. It can be obvious sometimes, uh, but you got to now. Here's the thing that's really difficult. So four three Nick, nobody out. If you're here's the problem that you run into is if you're gonna steal. You know if you if you make the decision to steal that, you can't cheat it. Like there's times when there's all right. So now if there's you know, two outs or something, and you're really pressed to get her a second. Sometimes you might need to cheat it. You know, I, you know, so when and when I say cheat it, you might try to get a little bit better jump. So I don't know. Like now, going back to all right. So I now I I know. And here's I, another thing. There's an extra umpire in that game. Right. So you have three right, umpires. Right. There's no umpires like that the the whole season. Right. So that guy is there looking for that basically. Right. He's on a first base bag. His job is to do foul and fair down the line to get that bang bang play at first base, maybe a check swing. And really he's probably looking all game and that's probably a focus for him is to watch those kids leaving first base early. So maybe mid season that might even get not seen because right. that's umpire is over by shortstop is not really looking as hard as that right. guy's right on top of it he called it right away and again i gotta give him credit because he's a watertown official there are three watertown officials there and so he's got to see that guy next year yeah, and you're exactly. gonna, he's gonna hear it 
again sometime down the road. And I and I know going back to saying, and I you know I went on my rant, my soapbox a little bit, and I said people don't know what they don't know. Now going back to game strategy, all right, it's four to three. You got the tying run on, all right. So if it's me right now, I'm real. I'm in, I'm all right. If you don't want to bond, you don't want to bond. I I totally get that. All right, you don't want to give up the out. Me personally. And here I go, because I don't know what I don't know. I don't know who's up at that, this and that. Me, personally, in that situation, at least for the first out, I'm going to be really, really patient. I, you don't want to, I don't want to press the issue right now and get her thrown out without any outs. All right, I can see pushing the situation down 4-2. All right, he's thinking, all right, I'm, it's going to be difficult for us to maybe get two runs offensively, maybe where he's at in the order. But now that first girl comes around to score, that changes my mindset, changes me personally, my mindset. I'm going to be really patient with her at first. I'm not really looking to probably, maybe I'm looking for a pass ball. I'm looking maybe for, you know, maybe Bailey Underwood to block a ball and it gets in front of her a little bit and then you can take off and run. But right now, like, I don't think I'm straight stealing in that situation because, you know, boy, if like, and she got, you know, she got caught stealing with leaving early. That's hard to go home at night thinking, man, we just kind of ran ourselves out of an inning. I would have been patient with no outs. And let if you don't want to bunt, let that girl swing the bat and see what happens. Now when you get the one out, you get the two outs. Now you're kind of pressed in the situation. Now you're really looking to you're really looking to steal that base and then you know you're really you may have to cheat it when you leave when with one or two outs. So now the lever you know, now with one out, it's a little bit higher leverage situation, but yeah, I would have had a hard time stealing that base with no outs, and then her getting thrown out or in the situation, that, boy, that I would go home, and that would kind of haunt me a little bit. And the feeling I got being at the game was, I th- this is what I read as a coach, I think he's got the momentum, I think he's feeling, hey, we were aggressive, they're back on their heels. We've two walks, a couple pass balls. We scored. We're doing it again. We're gonna get you. Maybe you're gonna throw it into center field. We're getting extra base. I think after the first girl and he got her coming around to score, I'm thinking in his mind, all right, we're gonna come get you now, and this is our chance to win this game right here. So actually, for me, I thought stealing the first time was kind of strange, and that one maybe all right, we're just gonna go for it now. We're gonna we're coming to get you and kind of step on your throat kind of thing. And um, and it depends what he had in the order too. Yeah. Nick. Like we talked about earlier, I mean, maybe he's thinking he's got to press the issue because his people that he has coming, you know, maybe you know, I and I've done that a thousand times as a coach. You know, you 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 press the issue a little bit because some of the people that you have coming behind your runner, you know, maybe challenged offensively. So you got to press the issue and try to get a runner in scoring position. I think with no outs, I'm a little less. My probability of running in that situation. My probability of running in that situation would have, would have been me personally really, really low. Uh, you know, I'm going to let that girl swing the bat and see what happens, maybe try to get a pass ball. I, yeah, without me seeing the game, without me knowing everything else and, you know, me not knowing what I don't know, um, my run probability personally would have been really, really low. And unfortunately, as a coach, when you make those decisions, if they work, you're a genius. And if they don't work, you are the GOATs. Let's go back to your buddy Jerry Tabal. He walked a girl in with bases loaded, bases right? Bases loaded, yes. Down, he was up two, I think. Yeah. And this is years ago in a sectional game where he walked. He had the bases loaded. He walked a girl to have a run score 
to miss a hitter because she was a star hitter, and then the next girl got out, and he's a genius. Right. If there's a pass ball, you're all of a sudden you're the dumbest guy in the world, and that's kind of how it goes when you're a coach. And you know that going into coaching, it's one of the hard parts of coaching is no matter what you do, you're going to get second guessed. And yeah. we're here second guessing another yeah. coach, but it, that's our job. We're right. a podcaster. And now. he went on instinct. I mean, that's how you know that's how we felt. Like I, you know, to each his own. Everybody's going to have their own take so yeah he was ultra aggressive it worked on the batter before so you know he might be going the same thing and then just sometimes it blows up on you it just it blows up on you you know last year during our run we you know you know got lucky on a couple things that we did on a couple decisions that I made we got lucky we got fortunate our kids made some big plays (coughs) in situations you know and if it blows up it blows up you know so you know, like I said, not to reiterate, not to beat a dead horse. My, yeah, I would have been a little bit tentative there. I would have really felt, you know, it's a gutsy call on his part to be honest with you, because I would have been really, really. Once we scored the third run, looking for the fourth, I would have been really conservative, conservative in that situation. With one out, I probably would have been really thinking about pressing the issue a little bit. All right, so let's fast forward to Monday. So if you're an Adirondack fan or uh, anybody going out to the game. The game is Monday at 5.30 out on Gillette Road. That's out in Cicero. They got, like, I think three fields there. When I was helping out Tom and Dom, we had a couple sectional final games yes. out there. Yeah. It's a great venue to play, so I got no problem with games out there. It's uh, it's kind of the place to go. Um, Cats face Oneida. So the Cats are now 16-3. and Oneida comes in, make 21-1. and Their only loss was down to Disney. They lost 14 nothing to a... a softball powerhouse but i didn't realize this and just reading some articles by ron Mosier this morning um and then uh, you can go back on the uh, syracuse.com they have brackets 2009 oneida has been to eight straight sectional finals now they were in the a's for a while and now they're back down to b but they've lost uh three in a row so they haven't won since 2015 and they're kind of coming in as, you know, this is their time to finally win one. This group of girls hasn't won one. The girl who's a pitcher, I think it's uh, Schultzhauer, I think you say her name is. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. But she was on the team in eighth grade when they won, and now she's a pitcher. And um, Adirondack, they were in the finals the last time in 2014. They lost to Salve, and they beat Salve in 2011 the last time. But basically, Mick, we got two softball powerhouses this was kind of the thought going into the season that this was pretty good chance for a sectional final here. Here's what I picked up just doing quick research this morning. Um, Oneida scored 228 runs this year. That's just over 10 runs a game. And they're giving up, you know, they gave up 14 in a loss, but they don't give up a lot of runs. They gave up five to Camden in the sectional semifinals. I would say everybody would agree that Oneida is the big favorite going into this game. You know, I'm Adirondack Homer. Uh, Amarico is one of my best friends. But we got to be honest that Oneida is going to be the big favorite coming into this game. But there is pressure. They've lost three in a row coming into this game. These girls have known it's like to lose in this game. All the pressure's on them. Adirondack girls coming in. You know, I think in their mind coming into the season, they had a thought of getting to a sectional final, but they weren't the big talk of a team who's going to make a huge run and win a sectional final. But uh, here's what here's what I, my two cents. Howell Patton made five errors against Oneida yesterday. 
12 to 2 was a score. You cannot make five errors and give them extra outs. Adirondacks got to play clean. They were pretty clean against South Jeff. They had maybe one or two errors, but they're going to have to tighten up and probably no errors. You're not going to be able to give Oneida extra outs in this game. And um, Hannah Miller lets you put the ball in play. She's not going to strike out 15. She might strike out six, seven, eight. And that's kind of her strength is she puts the ball in play and she, she keeps the ball on the ground. And McKennedy Case was awesome at shortstop yesterday. And I think Adirondacks have to play clean, maybe get a run or two early and put pressure on that Oneida team and put that doubt in their mind. That's the kind of thought that I have about this game coming in tomorrow. Right. My two cents, definitely. So here's how I would look at this. Number one, no crooked numbers. So that means... You can give up a run, but you can't give up the third run in an inning, can't give up the fourth, well, let's even go back to two, can't give up the second run in, in an inning, can't give up the third run, can't give up the fourth run. So Holland Patton comes out yesterday, first inning, kicked the ball around a little bit, they open up the door, bang, four runs right away. So looking at this game as far as how do you stay in the game, single runs are fine. Can't give up the open up the door and give up two, three, or four runs. So, if they do get runners on, if you do make a mistake in a given inning, just can't compound it. You got to try to limit the damage, keep it one, keep it at one, make keep it workable. You know that's how Patton right out of the gate couldn't keep it workable yesterday, Nick, and that's where they got into trouble. So, you know that's going to be obviously of the utmost importance, and you have to play defense to do that. And you hit the nail on the head, Nick. You know, Hannah gonna go out and throw 21 outs in a game. She's not gonna chew up 18 or 20. She's not gonna chew up 13 or 14 outs with strikeouts. So the Cats are looking at having to make 15 plays in a game. Gonna have to, you know, you don't have to make all 15, but you got to make sure that you make enough so that you don't give up two or three runs. So from a defensive standpoint and from a pitching standpoint, obviously that's gonna be crucial. And I think this will be, I know Coach Vanderquatcher really well, and I, I talked to him just briefly yesterday. I think they're looking forward to this challenge. I think they kind of knew Oneida was going to be there at the end. In the wintertime, you had your mind on Oneida. And I think going into this game as a coach, you, you have one message. You're playing the best. Here's your challenge. How good are we? And we've talked about this program and how good we are. How good are we? Let's challenge ourselves and play the best. I think it's a great season. You want another league title. You're in the sectional finals. Um, teams would kill to be in sectional finals right, the way right. we get to sectional finals. And so now you're playing the best, and let's go find out where we stand. And if you stand and you lose 10-1 to at the end, then that's where you stand. You know, Bill Parcells says you, you are what your record says you are. But I think Coach Vanacuacho isn't going to shy away from this. I don't think he's walking on eggshells. Ooh, I hope we can win this. He's going to go out. I think he thinks they can win, and I think he wants this challenge of playing Oneida. And I think they'll come in not scared. And I think they won't play back on their heels. They were overly con not overly confident. They were a team that was confident yesterday. I think watching that game, I haven't seen South Jeff play. I saw Adirondack a little bit this year. Adirondack looked like they belonged and they acted like they were going to win. 
And I think going into the Oneida game, I don't think they're going to back away from Oneida and be scared and hope to win. They're going to go expecting to win. Yeah, and I like their mindset because I have, actually I have Hannah and Sarah Shafter and a couple of those kids in class, Erica Sanford. I got all the juniors in class right now. And I really like their mindset. I really think right now going into set, going into yesterday's games, I just felt like they were very – they were very unassuming. I, I, I just felt like just going to go out and play a game. I didn't get the feeling that the moment was really too big and it wasn't really, you know, anybody was really hyped up over the top. And I really like their mindset right now. And they scrimmaged Oneida earlier in the year and didn't really fare very well, Nick, you know, talking to Ammo after they scrimmaged them. But like you said, you've seen it. You know, there's a, you got to balance that fine line between seeing it being scared, seeing it and not being scared and then kind of seeing it and then the other team gets in your head a little bit. So it's always kind of a, as a coach, it's always difficult. You know, I was always kind of, I, I, I went both ways on it, like as far as scrimmaging, like do you really want to go scrimmage someone that you may see down the road later on? I, I always had mixed feelings on it because sometimes, you know, a team can get in your head or you, you know, like Ammo went and scrimmaged them earlier. So in you know, back in April, and he, you know, they may be thinking, hey, we saw it, we've, we've seen their picture, we, you know, we can totally do this, so, you know, I get the feeling, like you said, just to kind of piggyback, Ammo feels, you know, they're, they feel like they're up to the challenge, they've seen it, so it's not like anything's in their head, you know, and, you know, Oneida's dropped three in a row, and, you know, the biggest thing for them tomorrow, like, you mentioned that may, you know scoring first would go a long ways. If you get into the third, the fourth, the fifth, yep. and it's a tie game, now the at-bats get different a little bit. The, the at-bats are different. Oneida is expected to win. They've lost three straight. They're thinking they're going out there to win tomorrow. They feel they're probably really confident. But, man, game changes, Nick, when it's nothing-nothing in the fifth or it's 1-1 in the fifth, and – those at-bats get tighter and tighter and tighter. And, you know, I think Ammo and the girls, they can go out there and play a little bit looser. You know, I they're, sometimes it's it's a little bit easier to play from that underdog role. So, you know, they get to the fifth. I, I like their chances. And just to finish this one, and it's probably a little bit of my fault or just my mindset because Amrico played for me. And, you know, He's a grown man now. He's got a family. He's got two kids. He, he's been teaching here forever. we got to start giving him credit for what he's done as a coach. As he's kept this program at the peak level, I think this is his eighth year. He's won a league title every year. Yeah, Ron Mosier actually wrote yesterday on Twitter, I think they've gone to what, the sectional finals? So, Ammo... I, going I, back to Tom. Yep, going back to Tom. The last 21 years, nine, yeah. it's nine. It might be more because yeah. there might have been a couple B2 finals in there. Yeah. It just yeah. It ha- there, There's been a little lull because the last one was 2014. So they haven't been in the last few years. You, do for kind of, you kind of forget about them. But here's what impressed me with Ammo. He's won the league every year. I coached 16 years. I was able to win three league titles, and Amrico was a big part of that. He wins league titles like it's it's not a big deal. And to win a league title is a huge deal. And I think that kind of gets glossed over in our softball program. It's just kind of expected, oh, they just won the league again. They've won nine in a row. And this is what Coach Maurer used to tell me. Everybody's got a team. Everybody's practicing. You did, you're, he's winning Class B league titles. 
And we got to start looking at him as what he's done as, you know, a top coach in Section 3, I don't know, across the state. I don't know his record offhand, but he's had, I mean, 30 losses maybe would be a huge number. And so his record has to be outstanding. And I think we get a little bit spoiled here on how easily they win league titles. And we got to start giving him credit. You talked earlier about building a culture. He's built a culture. I mean, he, he might be a little old school. He might rub some people the wrong way. But I do know this. He cares about his girls. His girls buy into them. He treats them like family. He has his kids around them. They go over for spaghetti dinners. They do all sorts of team bonding stuff. He has built a culture. How many teams of a school our size can lose a pitcher like Ariel? It's just next kid steps up and they're marching to the sectional finals again. So maybe it's me, and I haven't given him enough credit just in my mind because I just remember him as you know a former player. But what he's done as a coach has been beyond amazing, and, and they've built something there that's has carried on for over 20 years. And besides wrestling at our school, Mick, nothing else has come close. I went and looked down in the gym before we did this at league titles. The league titles they have, trump everybody by almost double and so a lot of credit goes to him and to dom where they've built a culture and you know you got to give credit to dom if you go to the to the uh gym and look at league and sectional titles he's had his hand in all sorts of things football he was my assistant coach in basketball and so they've built a culture and i just give them all sorts of credit they do it the way you'd want to do it and if I had a son or daughter, I would want that guy to coach my kid. And I, I don't, you couldn't give someone a, a bigger compliment, I, I don't think. And I just, I'm so proud of what he's done and what he's done for, you know, Adirondack sports. Adirondack softball is looked upon as one of the best around. So I got to start giving him, maybe I don't tell him, but I want him to know and I try to let him know how proud I am of him and how well he's done and he's brought this program to places that is really really hard to do what they're doing is so hard just you know you want three league titles you want a league title in basketball and how hard it is and how hard you work just to get to that level just a league title and then to you know his sectional title day is coming yeah i'm fully confident in that hopefully it's tomorrow but we got to give him credit as he's one of the best around yeah and they're truly always in reload mode it's not rebuild mode it's always reload and that's really probably for me that's the most impressive thing because it is so hard to sustain and there's so many and people are unaware there's so many variables that kind of go into this stuff that people are so just you know you come and watch the games and said oh they won again but it's so many variables that are that are swirling around that he's been able to just kind of you know, he's been able to kind of get through some of those other variables and, you know, keep winning. So that's, you know, that's so impressive to me. And sustainability is just amazing. And, you know, and then, you know, you talked about Dom, obviously. But, you know, the other thing, too, and you find this once you get to be a varsity coach, you know, the people that he has around him right now as far as, like, his whole program, he has, you know, everybody in place in that whole program right now you know from top to bottom you know so he's you know got it up and running and then all the way down to the lower level you know they've got so many kids playing so it's 
you know, they've got that rolling from top, you know, from top to bottom. If you're ever going to be able to sustain it, that's what you need to do. Uh, you know, things will tend to fall apart if you're not able to kind of get every single level on that same page. So they've, he's done a really good job of that, organizing that. And that, you know, you know, just kind of, it takes so much work. People don't, people don't understand. And, and I'm not saying that just because I'm a coach and I've been able to, you know, kind of lived it. People have no concept. You know, I, it's, you know, not, not to just. I mean, his summer is gone. So, you, so if you don't you, go two weeks no, away in the you, summer. You're, you're. No, if, maybe you get to sneak away, but your summer's you driving to Rome to yeah. play softball or to set up a softball program, and your summer's gone. So those, and that was kind of what wore me down at the end when I stopped coaching. Was, you know, I wanted to do other things, and you really you have trouble doing other things. Indy got to give credit to his wife Jessica. Because she is 100% on board. She's in the dugout when she can. The kids are there. Dom's wife, Lynn, is doing a scorebook yesterday. They've made it a family thing. And that's what they do. But it's a huge sacrifice. You know, there's lots of things they don't do that lots of other people like me in the summer get to do. And their thing is softball. And well, well, and the other thing, too, I, you know, and just to kind of, you know, jump on that too and that's why you know and that's where and you talked about it as far as getting worn down at the end and that's where you know the sacrifice that's made there's so much time that goes in to being able to to have the success and sustain it you know that's where sometimes coaches get really frustrated with you know the the things that swirl around them and you know I know with ammo you know he'll you know once August comes after the summer softball season, you know, that's when he, he can kind of decompress a little bit. But, you know, that time to decompress, if you're going to win and you're going to win big and you, you know, it, you want to sustain something, it's really hard to have it both ways. You can't, you just can't show up when you feel like it. It has to be roll up the sleeves 24-7, you know, and they've been able to do that. And you're right, Nick, it's from, you know, and it's your family. You know, and my wife Rachel made a lot of sacrifices as far as, you know, in the time that we spend. But you can't go out to everybody's putting time in, and you can't – it can't be a 50-50 proposition where, you know, I'm going to coach 50% of the time, and I'm going to do 50% of what I want to do. It can't be do, It can't be like that. It, it's got to be almost like 90-10, and it's very taxing and it wears you down. But, you know, they've been able to do it, and their success is – you hit the nail on the head. It's definitely unmatched, and, you know, wishing them good luck tomorrow – you know, keep it close, win it late, and, you know, softball and baseball go back-to-back in two years. That'd be pretty cool. And uh, it's just – you and you get to be a victim of your own success. So someday they won't win a league title, and hopefully it's ten years from now, and people be like, oh, I can't believe, you know, what's wrong? They didn't win a league title. Or the word is, well, your league is so easy now, you should win. So you, you never really get the credit you deserve. He'll get the – no one he'll get the credit he deserves is – when he's 50 years old and people are like, oh, remember when you won 15 league titles in a row, whatever role he's going to be on. So, um, again, good luck to Coach Vatacuatro and the softball team Monday as they uh, go out in a face Oneida. 5.30 start Monday, so maybe you're listening to this on the way out. And best of luck to all of them as that kind of gets us ready for sectionals. So, Mick, we still got a little bit of time here, so... Since you're the manager of the Trailblazers, we can do our Trailblazers segment. We'll probably talk a lot about this as the season goes. So I was able to go down opening night. 
big crowd. It was, uh, you got down early right away. It was like 3 nothing. you know, first inning. And then uh, you lost it in the ninth inning. But before, you know, we get into the game, the atmosphere was awesome. There was a lot of people around. Um, on the top of the hill was packed. The fireworks was, like, spectacular. So Rob Hennessy, my buddy, said, you got to go stay for the fireworks. It's awesome. I was like, come on, Rob, it's fireworks. The fireworks were, like, spectacular. It's like they had a finale for 15 straight minutes. And I was with Sean Andrews, and he's, I was told Sean, the word is these fireworks are good. And he's like, it's fireworks, it's fireworks. And at the end, he goes, holy smokes, that is awesome fireworks. So if nothing else, you entertain the crowd with uh, fireworks. But here's one thing I noticed. There's a lot of kids there who are middle school aged or, you know, fifth grade to 11th grade. And they're all sitting down by your dugout, seeing really good baseball up close. And I think... That is one thing that kind of helps our program is the kids really get into it, and it's it's nice to see. I know the game didn't end the way you want as you lost the lead in the ninth. I was just hoping it wasn't extra innings so you didn't have to wait for Yeah, I think, extra everybody, I think everybody was hoping that wouldn't happen. But just give your perspective about, you know, the atmosphere there. And now, did you get new colors because it is gold? Yeah, I broke color. out the gold for the I, home look this year. I like the gold, but just... You know, you could talk about the baseball at the end, maybe, but just the atmosphere of the park. And is it like that in other places? Because we don't get to go see other games. I know in Amsterdam it's like that. But they have a city of 20,000 people to draw from. You know, we're drawn from a small area. And we had a, a beautiful crowd. And, you know, so what's your perspective of from last year into this year of an atmosphere of a game? And then you could tell me about the baseball at the end. What's really unique with our setup down at the BYAA is it's not a stadium. So every place we go and play, they have stadium seating. So the only place where we play that doesn't have stadium seating is at the BY. So some nights when you, you know, when you're at a game, it's really hard to get a perspective of just how many people are there. So when the kids came in on Wednesday and we had a meeting on Wednesday night before we worked out, you know, I told them before the workout that, you know, some nights you're going to, you know, you're going to look up there and it's not really going to look like a decent crowd, but it's kind of deceiving with everybody that parks up top, Nick, and, you know, but you do have a lot of kids running around. So it's a, it's different, it's a different atmosphere because it's such an open atmosphere. You don't have people seating in the seats. So from that perspective, you know, it's kind of neat. It would be nice to have some, a little bit more of a stadium feel to it that you don't have when you go to other, you know, when, when you go to other places. Uh, But yeah, really nice crowd last night. And to be honest with you, as the year goes on, we usually have bigger crowds than a lot of places that I went to last year. So, you know, some of the places that we went to, you know, have really big opening crowds and then it kind of dwindles off. Ours does too a little bit, but you know, as you get into late June and early July, usually our popular, um, our, uh, attendance is usually pretty solid compared to other places. Went to Utica last night, Nick, and Utica had a really nice crowd, but it was their opening night. So the same thing, um, no fireworks or anything like that, but here's my yeah, one, here's it's kind of unique. My one wish. I love our stadium. I wish they had little stadium seats behind home plate. Where that hill is, put some like yeah, real that would seats be nice. in there. That would I mean, be nice. I know I'm just it's probably, yeah, we're dreaming as we're far dreaming, as but my dream that. would be to have like five or six rows of seats. 
my parents have front row seats at the Amsterdam Mohawk, so they buy season tickets. And it is an awesome viewer right behind, you know, the catcher. And for that perspective, you'd be up a little bit. And I just thought it'd be nice to have seats right there. That would be cool. I mean, dreaming, who knows what they could actually do. But that would be a little a cool place to be, would be right there. Yeah, and the thing is, too, and I talked about last week in my column in the Herald, and you get a different perspective when you go to other places. So, yeah, that sta- you don't have that stadium feel. So if I had a wish list, yeah, some stadium seating from first base dugout to third base dugout. Definitely would have to rip out that current backstop that we have and put a more modern backstop, a little more um, fan-friendly, um, you know, not as stringent of the backstop that we have now. More netting would definitely be helpful. And the setup that we don't have that's kind of frustrating from a manager's point of view is you go to other facilities. Other facilities, for the most part, have locker rooms. So as a visiting team, sometimes we can go, we have a locker room, take bat and practice, come in the locker room, hang out, come out, take infield, outfield, get ready for the game, you know, so that we don't, so we don't have that. I mean, to be honest, you know, our setup for a PGCBL and this PGCBL is a, it's a really good summer league. You know, we don't have that setup and, you know, the field's small for a college game, college game. We don't have the setup that other teams do, but I mean, we're running this, strictly from a volunteer standpoint. So, you know, the number of people that we have, like in what I'm going to call them to sound really kind of important, but we don't really have a lot of stadium system people. So preparation for games and the amenities for games, you know, to be honest, I'm not going to lie to you, you know, that that's definitely lacking when you go to other places. Amsterdam really has a nice setup. They have like, you know, they have a lot of people working for them. And, you know, with the Blazers and, you know, with our owner, Bobby Miller, and, you know, our staff, Ray DeBrango and Matt Burns, you know, they're really working on a limited budget. So it's, you know, it's, you know, if you're talking about the arms race of the PGCBL, you know, we have a really hard, we're definitely a small market. You know, we're Amsterdam, if we're going to make a major league reference, they're the Yankees, yeah. and we're really, really a small market. Now that I've been around it for the last two years, it, you definitely see that. I mean, we try to make do with what we have. It's really difficult. I'm not going to lie to you, but, you know, it's on a Friday night, and there's a lot of people there, and the weather was nice. It was. It's a really nice atmosphere, but it's really hard to make it work. Nick. But the field was designed for a Babe Ruth. Yes, definitely. Big Babe Ruth field. Yes. I mean, Amsterdam's field was the same way, and what they did, because they have a short porch in left field, is they put kind of a... Recessed. A, a, they put recessed a, left field. And a green monster up yeah. where it's 30 feet high. But, I mean, Amsterdam's built. They get 2,000 people. They're serving beer. They got a party porch. And, again, he, that Brian Spagnola works really hard. He got sponsors every inning. Yes. So he has a city, and he's drawing in people from Schenectady. So it's, it's a whole different, you know, setup. Is we don't have a city within, you know, forty miles you could draw from. So you're drawing in people from, you know, maybe get some South Louis people come down because I do see some South Louis people there, or people from Westline coming up. But just a, it's a whole different makeup. But it's a, but it's worked and we, you know, we've done well and we've had attendance. So what do you think about opening night? What do you think about your your team? And I know it's big news. I don't know if people know, Connor Hamilton's coming up. So Connor Hamilton's right now in the College World Series down at West Virginia. And when his season's over, he'll be coming and catching for you. So be good to see our hometown hero come back and play some ball at home. So that's kind of big news. So if you're going to go check out a Blazers game, 
make sure you know you go see Connor and say hi and you know so what do you think about that and Connor coming up as well? Yeah, I you know and going back to f- Friday night's game, the thing that's also very interesting and I don't want to chew up too much more time, but you know the the games in our park are really different. The 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 um, configuration and the small field really hard for pitchers to come in and feel comfortable pitching. So, you know, here's what happens on a lot on a lot of nights. So, you know, hitters get really gun shy. They really don't want, or I'm sorry, pitchers are really gun shy when they come in. They really don't want to attack hitters. So they feel like they really need to stay out in the middle of the plate. They get really gun shy. So they start going to the edges of the plate, which that results in walks. And not going to lie to PGCBL umpires, they come up from Florida. They have really tight strike zones. You really need to throw quality strikes, and you know they hold them to that. So here's what happens when we play at home. You know it's an avalanche, which just kind of happens. Pitchers want to live on the edges. They're afraid to attack hitters. They live on the edges. They walk guys. Now you're forced to throw strikes with runners on, and now all of a sudden walk walk turns into. You make a decent pitch, and it's a fly ball, and it's a 3 nothing game. So Friday night, you know, we got the lead back. Uh, so we're up going into the ninth, and we brought our closer in, uh, Andrew Hernandez, our designated closer at the time. That's He closed all spring long, and he had a really, really great spring. He walks the first batter, walks the second batter, and I could see, you know, kind of nibbling a little bit. And then he makes a really quality pitch, broken bat single, and then the floodgates opened. But, you know, the game from Friday, it's amazing. It's just amazing. The game Friday night, and then, you know, high scoring, and then we go play Utica last night. Pitchers aren't afraid to attack hitters. So our starter last night down in Utica, Ryan uh, Salamine, went down, had gotten some difficulty early, and then, you know, he attacked hitters. He pitched really well. The game was so much different. So we lose 4-3 last night. Couldn't find some offense. But here's the difference. Uh, two hours and 28 minutes last night, Nick. Friday night, three hours and 15 minutes. So somebody asked me the other day, why did you guys move the game time up to 6.35? Because our games tend to run three and a half hours through 3.45. Pitchers are scared to attack hitters. Then they start attacking hitters when they get runners on, and all of a sudden you see an offensive explosion. And that's been the story. And it's, you know, for two years, I mean, the th- a year, and now the challenging thing for me is, you know, it keeps me up nights tr- kind of trying to figure out how can we reverse that trend. It is really hard to do. So it's, you know, to people who are just kind of casual baseball fans, you don't really see that. But, you know, uh, to be honest with you, the game, last night's game was a really crisp game. It was a really fun game to watch. It was a really fun game to manage. It's really hard in our park to do that. So that's why you really have high scores. Um, yeah, and then Connor, yes, Connor's going Connor's gonna to come back. He's down at West Virginia. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday morning. West Virginia plays Texas A&M at noon today. It is an elimination game. If they win, they will play Duke at 6 o'clock tonight. They, have to, they would have to beat Duke twice to advance to the Super Regionals next weekend. So um, we're actually missing a couple kids from Creighton. They're also in a regional. Uh, so we expect those kids in the middle of next week. So we're expecting, you know, depending on what happens with Connor. So if they lose today, uh, probably going to expect Connor uh, in the middle of the week. We actually go on the road Wednesday. 
We're actually Monday, Tuesday home. Weather's looking really iffy. We're on the road actually Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Then we're back home on the weekend. So for local fans, uh, you know, there's probably a decent chance you'll see Connor on the weekend if you're if you're coming out to the ballpark uh, Saturday, Sunday. So yeah, it's you know it's not uh, not off to the start. We wanted to get it, you know, that we wanted to, you know, we. Very winnable game on Friday night, and then very winnable game last night, just lacking offense. So kind of snake bit at the start of the season. We got off to a bad start last year. We were 0-8. So hopefully we can kind of get things kind of figured out. It's really hard to figure out the first week or so kind of what you have, and especially in your pitching, you know, kind of trying to go through that. So the first week and a half, two weeks, kind of a feeling out period, kind of see where we are. You know, unfortunately last year we buried ourselves. So definitely we're off today, but – we got to find a win here this week. We got to try to. We don't want to get too many games under 500. That's where we got into trouble last year. Kind of got on the fringes of playoff contention last year, but our start doomed us. So hopefully we can put together put together the bats and the pitching and the fielding. We're pretty good. We're real good defensively, to be honest with you. So you know, so if we can just you know pitch a little bit better at home, you know, we should be. We should be able to settle things down and win a couple games this week and kind of stay around that 500 mark, you know, before we get things figured out. And Utica's really good. We played a really good Utica team last night. It's like Ole Yankee Stadium. You got the short porch in right field. You got to bring in all your lefties to yeah, to try yeah, to shut yeah. Them yeah. And out. we actually we we uh, Mike Untrack from Iona threw on Wednesday on on opening night Friday night. So I think you know kind of exploring some ideas. We've Try to get more lefties on our staff to match up with lefties at home. And, you know, you might need a little bit of a power. You know, the problem is, you know, we really need strikeouts, especially at home. You need kids that can strike out eight, nine, ten guys if, if that's possible. You know, that's what you need. So 27 outs at our place, you really got to try to find as many strikeouts as possible. We haven't really been able to do that. That's, you know, PGCBL, you know, games are pretty offensively or, oriented anyway. It'd be cool to have Connor back and watch him play. We're gonna have to do a regular segment of the Trailblazers and get a sponsor like the uh, the WB Mason uh, Trailblazers yeah, like Trail yeah, report, like, report they, yeah. like they do on the Yes Network or something. So, any sponsors out there you want to be the uh, the Trailblazers report? We'll have to get you on. We're getting close to an hour, so good luck to the softball team tomorrow, and then we'll do a lot of Trailblazer stuff coming up because we're kind of wrap up here high school sports and as we go into the summer we'll get into maybe some more major league baseball and we'll we'll definitely find some other stuff and the next thing you know we'll be talking turf field and we've talking high school football so it comes quick so enjoy the weekend and get out to see the softball team tomorrow 5 30 at gillette road field cats face oneida for the class b title and uh, have a good week we'll talk to you next week